Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. And I'm Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution architect at SAP. So Simon, we're well into 2022. Today's episode is going to be fascinating because we're going to be discussing the future world of work, which is very open-ended, but so topical, because obviously we know that we've been discussing on previous episodes, how we work, where we work is just changing at, at such a pace. So what are you looking forward to in this episode today? Well, we've, heard, we've talked on a number of the previous podcasts about all the different things that are going on in the world of HR, all the changes, uh, all the disruption that's happening. I'm interested in our guest's viewpoint on what are the implications for the HR function? You know, what should the HR function be doing about that in the here and now, but also, you know, going forwards? You know, what should they be thinking about going forwards? So I think that all wraps up nicely into the future, but also maybe uh, bringing it back to now as well as to what they should be actually doing. Yeah, I agree. And I think our guest today has real conviction and clarity, I think, you know, in terms of his opinions. So I'm looking to get into what are some of the real challenges? You know, what is holding us back? You know, what is leading to people, you know, leaving their organizations? We've discussed some of this previously. But I do also want to try and understand where are we making some progress? Because we are, you know, there's no doubting that there are things that we're doing well, but what are they? I think this is going to be one of those episodes where we cut to the chase a little bit. I hope so anyway. Uh, so let's let's see. We are delighted to welcome to the podcast Jason Aberbuck. Jason is a leading analyst, thought leader, and consultant in the area of human resources, the future of work, and the impact technology have on that future. He is the co-founder and CEO of LeapGen, a digital transformation company helping organizations shape their future workplace by broadening executive mindset to rethink how to better design and deliver employee services that meet the expectations of the workforce and the needs of the business. Jason has more than 20 years of experience in the HR and technology industries and has collaborated with industry-leading companies in transforming their HR organizations into strategic partners. Jason, thank you so much for being a guest on the Human Factor podcast. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. This is one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to it often when I'm out running, uh, when I'm using the restroom, when I'm in the airplane, whatever it is. It's one of the, my favorite podcasts in the world. So thank you so much for having me. Well, that is a delight to hear. So uh, I'm not sure about the restroom, but anyway, that's brilliant. No, Jason, we thank all you. We consume content when we have time today, Michael. And that's the key. That's the key. It's all about where we consume and when we can consume, isn't it? Exactly. Brilliant. So listen, let me just put into context what I think is going to be a very lively conversation. The title of the episode is The Future World of Work, which is pretty open-ended but I do believe is a critical conversation. So to context, for the last 18 months, we have talked about nothing but the impact of COVID and the influence of COVID and the pandemic and what it means to the world of work. We have debated at length where we will work, how we will work, the role of HR in facilitating these changes, 
and also the implications for organizations that don't reimagine and are not evolving. This episode, we believe and we hope, is going to cut to the chase, if you like, on what the future of work truly will look like, needs to look like, and what the implications are for HR, organizations, and individuals. So we will be tapping into the thoughts of Jason and his forthright views on what needs to change and needs to change now. So Jason, it's great that you've joined us. And, you know, I've, I've been following your thoughts, your insights for a, a number of months and years. And one of the things that I, I've always noted is there's an urgency in your language. There's an urgency in your voice. So if I can ask a, a sort of a scene setting question, almost to get a bit of a baseline, if you like. The, the state of the world of work for the last 18 months has been a little bit of a mess in some respects. We've heard about the great departure, the great resignation. We've talked about the great realization that the world of work has been suboptimal. What is your baseline observation today? We're in January 2022. We're in the third year of the pandemic. But I want to stress it's not just the world of work hasn't just been influenced by the pandemic. This was going on before. Right when consumerization kicked in about five, six, seven years ago, and we entered into the world of digital, everything changed. The game changed. What's your baseline observation as we stand today? Yeah, Michael, thanks for the question. And 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 really quickly, the you know there's probably seven things that have come together, spikes to truly create where we are today when we think about the now of work, and just. From a framing standpoint, Michael, I have given up on talking about future. You're talking a lot about future. I talk about now. Even when people say you're the, I'm a futurist, I'm a nowist, whether that's a word or not, because I can't. At the moment, I can't. Every single thing I've tried to do for the last two years and to talk about the future basically has been submerged with the concept of now. And it's changing that rapidly, where I think anyone who starts to proclaim that they could even begin to think about the future of work probably needs to look in the mirror and say, where are we now and what do we need to do? But really quickly, Michael, just your specific question, you know, basically there were two big events in 2019 and 2020 that changed the world of work forever, mostly 2020. And those are two pandemics. They're the pandemic around public health, which was a new pandemic, and the public around social justice and equity, which was an old pandemic. Those two pandemics hit each other and hit us at the exact same time. What they basically made us do is they made us accelerate our digital efforts like never before. Now, you know, I have no idea the explicit nature of the of this podcast and how it's labeled on iTunes and things like that. So I have to be careful what I say, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. But this is stuff, we'll just leave it at that, that we all should have been doing for a long freaking time. Okay. The last time we started talking about future of work and actually took it seriously was Y2K. And we basically said by the year 2020, people were gonna be looking at each other on boxes. Michael would be doing a podcast from a messy office. Uh, we'd be looking at each other on screens. 
you know, we'd be using devices, mobile devices. We've been, this is not like, oh my gosh, what happened? 2020 hit us and now we're not going to the office anymore. You know, we were just waiting for an event. Now it's right. sad that that's the type of event that it took, but that's what it took. So where we're at now is we're at a point where we're not going back to the way that it was. And what we are all is we are all actors in a movie that's creating the now of work. And in eight years, 2030, when we go back and watch the movie that says 2020 to 2022, people are going to look at us and say, what did you guys do? Like, did you sit there with your fingers in your ears and be like, uh, I don't hear anything. I don't see anything. Let's, it's going to go back soon. Like, how many times have people said, oh, this is going to be over soon in the last two years? You know, I have two boys. They're 17 and 14. They're like, shut up. Like, you realize we're not at school again? You said this was a two-week thing. And I was like, guys, I'm sorry. They're like, you told us this was a two-week thing. Now, two years later, we're not at school again. So anyone that thinks they can predict the future, A, is wrong at the moment. B, all we can do is take the signals, huge word of now, and think about what do we do to make work better. And when we think about making work better, we have to realize that the workers are human. And who holds the key to better now is the worker, the workplace, the manager, and the leader. So we're living right now in a moment where we're creating the now of work. It's the most exciting time I've ever spent in this space. It's scary because you don't know what's next, but at the same time, it's got the biggest upside. It's interesting what you said there about it, it, it's scary because we don't know. I wholly agree. I think that absolutely is one of the most exciting things we faced in, in a decade or so. However, though, we have to try and find a way to make progress. As you said, the key word is, is we have to make it better. So you do have some views, right? I mean, if, if you take your views around, you know, thinking about transformation, for example, and what does it actually require? One of the first things that you always reference is, is there actually a commitment to change? Is there a growth mindset, uh, you know, present to think about, well, actually, how do we make it better? So when we think about, are we actually making any progress that, in the now, what what kind of things are you observing where you go, oh yeah, that is better, or that is a sign of progress, or even is it just an acceptance of where we are and removing denial? Yeah, I mean, there's little, there's signals all over the place, Michael. I mean, I was on the phone with a vendor the other day who was doing book hacks, course hacks, and podcast hacks, basically creating three to five minute chunks of content for people to actually use and learn. And guess what? Holy cow, that's how people learn today. Once again, I'm gonna go back to my teenagers. I can't get them to watch an hour class. You know, I'm doing my DEI training within my organization right now as a good CEO. And that's an hour and 45 minutes of watching a video. Like that's not how I learn best. Now I'm gonna do it, but that's not how I learn best. When I drive by a retail establishment that says, I can text jobs to 32622, and I can get through an entire job application on my phone 
without saying, oh, your browser doesn't work. Or, oh, I can't see everything. I'm going to have to blah, 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 blah. I know no one can see this on the podcast, but adjust my phone to figure out how to read what's on there. Like, that stuff is progress. Or people using TikTok to post jobs. Or people using Instagram to find new followers that they're going to turn into potential employees. Those are progress. Daily pay. Paying people the day they work instead of waiting two weeks. So there's little signs of progress all over the place. I think the biggest skill, and I said this to a group in Singapore the other night, was that if organizations don't have an innovation mindset, growth and innovation are similar. Innovation specifically means I'm open to trying new things. I'm open to failing. A. And B, that organizations don't actually realize that the things that they've been doing for 30, 40, 50, 60, okay, I'll stop there, years probably don't work anymore. If the world has changed, if work has changed, if business has changed, oh, I have an idea. Let's do the same thing. Uh, that's called insanity. So those organizations that are willing to approach this with an open mind and say, let's try some new things are the ones that are going to win. It's very clear to me. Those are organizations that say, oh, guess what? We just need to move to the cloud. And if we just move to the cloud, we're going to be perfect. You know, those are the ones that we're going to find. And once again, nothing against moving to the cloud. It's necessary in order to get to where we're trying to get to. Yep. But that alone, that's not transformation. Transformation is a radical change to how work happens. Period. End of story. Yep. And if all we're doing is, look, oh, let's make that process a little better by removing one approval thing. Cool. But is that really moving the dial? I would ask you guys seriously. Simon, if I can just come to you for a second, your thoughts? Yeah, it was a, a, a great way of explaining it there, Jason. And, and I, I loved your, um, your analogy there about applying for the jobs, for example. In episode six of our podcast um, last year, we talked with uh, a couple of people that talked about the making mistakes uh, in innovation and that it's okay to make mistakes. Um, and, and I think you know, we've, we've seen many mistakes being made, but you know, mistakes can be positive as well. Would you agree or would you build upon the fact that to be able to and willing to make mistakes, though, you have to be brave? You know, innovation doesn't come by staying in that comfort zone. You have to be brave and, and, and think outside of that box to really innovate. Yeah, Simon, and brave means something different to everyone. Like, I love the fact that you used the word brave. LeapGen, the name of the organization that I started five years ago, stands for love, energy, audacity, and proof. Okay? If you love what you do, it gives you energy. If you have energy, you can do the audacious. And I don't know if grammatically audacious and brave mean the same things. I think you have to be brave in order to do the audacious. But once again, I think it's truly, truly important that you have to be brave, but your you have to have a safe space in your organization to be able to do these things. Because if your organization will say, oh, that didn't work, you know, you're fired. 
guess what? I'll go do it somewhere else. Uh, so you also have to set up the right mindset that says, hey, we're going to try this. And it may not work. You know, but guess what? It's different than our competition. Because in a war where we're actually trying to make sure that we provide the best care for workers in the world, care is a very strong word. If we provide the best care for employees in the world, we're going to have to try new things that, guess what, don't come from HBR, don't come from a consultant's playbook because they're unique to me. And I don't want to share what I'm doing because guess what? The minute my person down the street does the same thing, then my differentiator is gone. Absolutely. Building on that then, and and let's sort of stick in the now for the moment. And you just mentioned the, you know, we, we need to go to the cloud. So there's still that technological mindset, solution mindset. You know, that's the silver bullet. If we can try and hone in on some of the areas, right? So one of the things that you you tweeted about recently, or indeed it may even have been last year, when we were talking about that transformation of change and, and what it means, um, you talked about being digital and not just do digital and actually unlearning, relearning. But then you also then just talked there for a moment about the employee, because I think this is where there's the real drive of change now, that the person who's coming into the workplace is bringing a greater set of expectations and preferences than ever before. And that's not going to change. I'm a proud father of twin daughters. They're 12. And I dread to think what the world will look like when they enter into the workplace, because the set of expectations and preferences they have now are beyond me already. So you can only imagine when they get to that stage. So let's talk about some of these key areas. Is it technology? Is it an absence of strategy? Is it an absence of a clear employee value proposition? Is it, a, is it an absence of a leadership culture, a credo, or whatever you want to call it? What are the focus areas that we've just got to, to really double down on and really focus in on? Michael, the first area that it starts is it starts with making sure that we have a coordinated mindset and vision as to what we're trying to do. Because as you know, most organizations think that they have to be great at everything. We have to be great at recruiting. Oh, we have to be great at payroll. You don't have to be great at payroll. You have to be 100% accurate, which means you're good. You're performing. What are those things that we need to be great at to create the competitive differentiation that our organization needs to achieve its goals? So first, we need to have an aligned vision. And when I say aligned vision, that doesn't mean it's aligned in my head. That means it's aligned with the HR leadership team. It's aligned with the executive team. It's aligned with my IT brethren. It's aligned. Okay. And it's signed off on in blood. That basically says, for right now, this is what we're doing. Okay. And once again, we can change it. It's a henna tattoo. It's not ink. It's henna. Like, okay, cool. Two weeks later, the world might change. We might acquire a company. We might divest a company. You know, I might have a a vaccine mandate. Who knows? But it's really, really, really important on how do we create that vision, A. B, then how do I make sure that I know who I'm designing the vision for? So, Michael and Simon, there's so many of us that are still doing HR technology for HR sake. You know, and we do HR technology programs 
and we start them, we go live, and then we're done. It's a recipe for failure. Go live is the stupidest term ever. Because what it means is that we're live and then we're done. Go live should be called go begin. Because once we're actually live, that's when it's time to begin, to begin to see the value, to begin to use these tools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So really, really important to keep that in mind is like, what's the, what are our measures of success going to be tied to those things? And then the third thing, Michael and Simon, is really about communication. So often we put these things in, tools, policies, processes, and we say, click here. Yep, that's what we say, click here. And that's it. Like, do we know how many people clicked? No. Do we know how many people liked it, how they felt? No. Uh, but on to the next, on to the next. Okay, that's a definition of doing something digital versus being digital. Being digital means I'm constantly improving. I'm treating my digital capabilities like a pet, not like a rock. I have to walk it daily, water it daily, clean up after it daily, pet it daily. I, like, I have to do these things daily. That's being digital. Doing digital is what we've been doing for 30 years projects that all of a sudden, Michael did a great job on putting in this tool. Guess what? We're going to move him on to the next thing. And who are you going to leave back on the old thing? We don't have any resources for that. Guess what? That's the fastest way to kill a plant or kill a pet. It's like, okay, it's we birthed it. It's live. But guess what? Now we're going to leave it alone. Oh, do you know what? You know, I I got told off, uh, Jason, because I I do love to laugh and uh, and I have to laugh internally. But the reality of what you're saying is is that's the picture. That that is the picture. That that is yeah. what we have been doing, and that's what we've been doing to ourselves. And throughout the podcast, throughout all of the conversations, um, we're trying to get to that nub, aren't we? Really of what you just described, which is what does being digital actually mean daily, all the time, watching the plant, walking the dog, nurturing it, looking after it. That's what we that's what people need. That's what people is, want. But, but, you know, but Michael and Simon, we're not we're, we as a function, HR are not set up that way. I'm going to come back to this, though, because I want to challenge that statement, I suppose, a little bit today. I really want to get to your thoughts in a moment about what actually does this mean for HR? Because one of my bugbears recently, if I'm being honest, and listen, I'm a fully paid that, member. Is that a bugbear? A bugbear, yeah. It's where bug it's some, bear? A, a bugbear is something that annoys you. It gets under your skin. Oh, bugbear. I'm going to use member. that with my kids tonight. Bugbear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, for example, one of my wife's big bugbears is when nobody empties the dishwasher but her. That's a bugbear. My wife will appreciate being in the podcast now. Um, I do want to come back to the HR bit because, for Did example, you call your this, wife a bugbear, just so I know, or were you just saying that this is a bugbear no, of hers? It's a, it's a bugbear of hers. Okay, just in case she's listening, I just want to make sure it's clear. Oh, she's but... going to listen to this episode now because she's been name checked. So, okay. <laughs> when we look at all these areas, you talked about that alignment, and HR is the custodian of people, it's the badge that they wear, and that's never going to change. 
and I and I maintain that HR has got a super important role to facilitate that alignment. I think they get the nuances of culture. I think they get the nuances of human beings. I think you know that they're, they're tuned into what's changing in this context. But I I worry have we made this too much about HR? So I want to come back to that if I may, right? Because I. I just want to focus in on these key areas just for just a little bit. Okay, we'll put it in the dishwasher and we'll come back to it. We will. We <laughs> but what do you, though, see? So thinking about all of the things you just mentioned, you know, um, about being the digital and not treating like a project, et cetera, et cetera. But what is it you think, though, in those key focus areas? What's the major challenge that still needs to be overcome? Is it, is it, is it that we're not explaining that strategy to the workforce? Is it that we're not building a compelling EVP for the new person coming in? Uh, we, you know, we were delighted to meet, uh, you know, Albany today, your co your colleague, and she's on day four, and she is unbelievably excited about being part of your organization. She's completely bought in. What what, what is the challenge that we still have to overcome? So one of the biggest challenges, um, Michael, is that what we do in HR, and I'll get away from the dishwasher and get serious for a second. What we do in HR is we create strategies all the time. And what we're really not great at is deploying those strategies. We oftentimes shift right from strategy to implementation. And when we do that, what we do is we leave out, there's a story, there's a reason that I have that strategy. and. When I go to do the implementation, I oftentimes just put in a tool or put in place a process or put in place a technology that all of a sudden just goes live. But the whole reason that I have the strategy and how do I deploy that strategy needs to be deeply understood. Why am I recruiting via mobile? You know, there's a reason that I'm doing that, right? Why am I recruiting on Snapchat? It's not just because I like Snapchat. There's a reason that I'm doing it. Why am I doing daily pay? You know, there's a reason that I'm doing it. Yet so often when I come up with those strategies, I don't do a great job of deploying them. I just implement the tool and then hope and pray that people come along. A. And then B, I oftentimes don't design the deployment of those strategies for the workforce. I design them for the HR payroll function, and then all of a sudden spring them on the workforce with an email coming from HR. Now, someone who's been in HR my whole life, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but most employees, when they get an email from HR, it is not seen as like, yes, another email from HR. Or, you know, maybe I'm getting really innovative and HR is sending me a text. And, Oh, wow, a text from HR. That is not usually a good thing. It's like when your wife gives you feedback on how you load the dishwasher. That feedback is not usually like, oh, Michael, you did a great job. You really did a great job unloading. Feedback is not usually a positive. Okay, so HR is coming from a position of weakness as to how do people think about what its role is and what it's done, which means I need to over exacerbate the value. So the value to me as an employee, the value to me as a manager, the value to me as a business leader is this. And guess what? Oh, by the way, it's gonna help HR, but you don't need to know that. 
the reason we roll out self-service is to make HR's life easier. Ugh. Do you think that anyone cares? No, the reason we roll out self-service and the reason we don't call it self-service, but we call it direct access, is because we want you to have direct access to your information 24-7 wherever you are so that you can have the best employee experience possible. Oh, and by the way, a side benefit is we're going to have better data in HR. But we don't market it as the value to us, or we shouldn't. We should be marketing it as the value to the people, to the human that we're trying to drive empathy into. So all that being said, Michael, back to your question, the biggest area we fall down is that chasm between strategy and deployment. Love it. Absolutely love it. And, 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 I, and I do think that going on to the point about what is that sort of implication, if you like, for HR, I do think that is a major, major implication. So going back to you know, what I was saying, one of my bugbears, um, I, I worry when I look at the narrative and I look at the dialogue, and I've been in HR for 25 years, we make it too much about HR. HR does not exist for HR. And I, and I do think that's a really important sentiment. And there's almost needs to be, when we think about now, and as we're trying to be progressive, and as we're trying to curate maybe what the world of work looks like, I think redefining HR's role to play in that is going to be super, super important. It is. And, and the way that we think about that, you know, Michael, so I mean, you have this fancy title, you know, you know, HXM value advisor, you know, which means your job is to help organizations see the value. I didn't choose it. No, no, but it's cool, right? It's got an acronym, which makes it important. You know, it's got the word value in it, which makes it important. So, you know, when we think about that value, we think about what is the, how are we describing value? And one of the things that that is that HR struggles with so often when it comes to value is pushing value to the other side of the equation. Okay, so I can say I reduce time to fill from 52 days to 37 days. Whoo! Yes, 15 days. Now, who's that of value to? If I just say 15 days, it's a value to the recruiter. If I say 15 days, times 750 people that generate $500 in revenue per day, guess what? That's $5 million of value to the business. And oftentimes we don't go that extra step to get to that other side of the equation, to keep pushing where I express value in business. If we're gonna say HR, we don't do HR for HR's sake, what you just said, that means we don't create HR business cases for HR's sake, right? We create Absolutely. business cases for business sake. And that, you know, that, that's the real nub of it. And I think in, in your last, the last piece there, you know, I, I just wrote down on my notes here, storytelling. The absence of storytelling has been an issue for so long because organizational change is really difficult. I mean, if we take change in our own households, you know, again, I'm bringing my wife into this, but, you know, my wife would say in the past, Michael, you know, I don't like the curtains. We need to change them. And I'd go, no. They're, they're, they're perfectly fine, and I quite like them. You magnify that in an organizational context. You are 50,000 people, and you want them to behave differently. You want them to do something differently tomorrow that you believe will benefit them. You need to tell a very, very good story. 
Otherwise, I'm not going to change my behavior. Now, that goes back to your deployment piece and, and how we go from strategy to, to execution. So before I go into my next question, I'm just going to pause. And Simon, have you got any, any thoughts, insights? And don't mention dishwashers. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like to just explore a little bit more. You were talking about the 15 days. Uh, and the 15 days being articulated in different ways, you know, the, the the traditional HR way of expressing it and the more valuable way of expressing it. Do you think it's easy for HR to express their value to the organization? We were talking with a customer for the other day, for example, and they were creating a business case. And they, they found it incredibly easy to make a business case for a new piece of equipment, a new piece of a plant equipment, for example, because they could articulate an immediate return on that investment. But a HR sometimes has a different sort of challenges in trying to sort of articulate a tangible, you know, often intangible value to what they're trying to do. What, what are your thoughts or what are your observations on, on HR and their maturity about being able to articulate those? Oh, Simon. So I, I can't go into all of this now because I would love to do it in a different podcast if you're ever willing to have me back. But there is a huge body of work that I'm doing around studying the value of people. The reason that we struggle with this is because we have no common way to value people. Okay, so what I can value a piece of machine. Why? Because I know that machine creates 8,000 widgets a day. And guess what? No one can argue with me that it creates 8,000 widgets a day. But guess what? When it comes to a person and the value that that person brings, there's a tangible component to it, which might be something like sales. But there's also an intangible component to it, which is their knowledge. Today, and once again, I don't want to get too esoteric. Today, we have no way to measure the rarities of people. And if you study some of the work that's going on in the NFT space, the non-fungible token space right now, and how these digital pieces of art are being valued, there's only one of them in the world, which by guess what? There's only one what in the world? You. Also, each one of those digital pieces of art has a set of rarities tied to it. Each of those rarities have a value tied to it which allows me to put a price on it or a value on it. Today, we don't have that for people. So once again, without getting too weird, if someone actually asked me to give a speech on the future of work, this is what I would talk about, is to how do we actually value people where on a balance sheet from a financial standpoint, we can actually say that our, we know the value of our people as much as we know the value of our machine. Okay, which I truly think is going to happen before I croak. The one thing we know at the beginning of every fiscal year is that the organization makes a commitment to a wage bill. And that's that that's an expense. Of course. That's not an asset. No, 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 exactly. That's what that was what I was about to say. But it's the, the, that that's the point, right? You're committing to that expense. And it's not a small number. It's the biggest number. There's a couple of words I want to pick out, Jason, if I may. Right. You said today the reason for doing something. You've also tweeted in the past, and you've mentioned the word belonging, right? And how people are really wanting 
to belong to what the organization is striving to do, which brings in purpose, which brings in reason, right? Which brings in a, a, a connection. Because inherently, I think people want to achieve day in, day out. I think people inherently want to do great work. And if you look at the Boston Consulting Group data on their 2030 workforce crisis, when they interviewed over 200,000 job seekers, what was number one on the list of the most important thing? Recognition. Pay was eight. It was all cultural. So how we, how we actually articulate where an individual can bring value, can really grow into that organization, belong to that organization. How is that story being told from the recruitment process through the EVP? Why do I want to join you over that company? See, I think HR's got to become a facilitator, a designer, an archaeologist, you know, seeking out things that they don't even know exist, using amazing data and insights, not the transactional stuff, I'm not saying that's not important. It is important. That, that keeps you out of court, that keeps you out of getting into trouble. The other tweet I noticed you said recently about the individual, and we make the connection with mental health a lot now with work, is you mentioned that all of this should be about actually being good to the family of the individual who works in that organization. And I think that's a crucial, crucial sentiment. I'm going to pause there and take a breath and let you uh, give a comment on that. Yeah, Michael, I just want to go back to something. So people want to feel good about work. If I just take that up one level, people just want to feel good. Like you said you love to laugh, you love to smile. Like you laugh, you smile, it makes me laugh, smile. I feel good. I don't consider this freaking work that I'm doing right now. This is a fun. So I, I think that it's really important that we realize that this isn't all about work. Like we've for so long, like I'm, I always share that I wrote this in my first book that my dad worked for one company for 48 years and my grandfather worked for that same company for 49 years, 97 years in one company. And they, guess what? They worked to live. Like really they worked to live and forget any of the things that that causes in family life, et cetera, et cetera. Right now we live to work. We live and the work part of our jobs has to be complementary to how we live. From a physical standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, that has to be there. And if it's not there, guess what? People are going to leave. And guess all these people talking about all this great stuff. You know what this great stuff, great resignation, great reshuffle. Like, I'm not sure any of it's great. I'm not sure why they use great in front of it. Like for me, it's like scared to death. But everyone's like, oh, that's great. Great, re great resignation. Like the great resignation. I'm like, you sure you want to call that great? You're like lost all your people. but. That being said, like it's really important to think through the reason that that's happening is because we've all become, whether we like it or not, we've all become closer to mortal in the last two years than we were before. We've all made decisions about spouses, about partners, about kids, about work locations, about cars, about masks, about vaccines. Like, the world changed. And guess what? There was this event in the U.S. that 
affected the world called 9-11, right? After 9-11 happened in the U.S., no one could all of a sudden go wandering around airports to random gates and watch planes land. Do you remember those days? I remember those days. My father took me to watch planes land. No security. I'm like, cool. Or my grandma would come into town. I'd be there with my cute little sign and balloons, you know, right there. Like, not letting people off the plane even because I'd be right there. Now I can't do that. And what changed that? 9-11. What changed work? What changed the focus on humanity? What changed the focus on empathy? What changed the focus on not work-life balance, but life-work balance? 2020. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to come on to the last question, if can I, I may. Can I ask a question before you do? Of course do. you can. Of course you can. What's a, what's a nub? What's a nub? Yeah, so the nub for me is... Yeah, you said it, that's it, the nub. That's the nub of it. It's like, it's like the center of, uh, of the uh. point. Okay. I'm loving the fact that I've made so many assumptions about all of my local little idiosyncrasies that I do apologize. It's very It sounds like a body part, but we won't do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right. Let's get back to the last question. This is a serious conversation. Many of our listeners always do like uh, from all of our guests, they like to sort of get the takeaways. You know, it's, there's two or three things to think about, or there's two or three things to do. So, Jason, if we may ask, we've covered a lot of ground today, whether it's the role of HR, where it's the gap in terms of execution, uh, misalignment of strategy. Don't think too far into the future. Think about the now. There's a lot that we're going to take away from this conversation, and we will take you up on your offer, if we may, of coming back on the podcast at a later date. That would be amazing. But for now, in this moment, what would be some of your takeaways for our listeners today? So, so the first thing is, is to make sure that you're focusing on the now. If you're doing, if you're planning something two or three years down the road, it's more than likely not going to be applicable. And if you're using roadmaps that are two or three years old, they're probably not applicable. And don't make a big hissy fit about that. It's just not, it, things change, right? So we just have to realize that things change and that's okay. And that means that in some organizations, we have to be like, hmm. some people have to realize that they have to get a little more comfortable with change. And no one did throw away work. You know, understand that we're all sympathetic to the fact that the world changed, you know, and no one did anything wrong. Like we get calls every day saying, we need to replace our core HR system. And I'm like, why? Like this over and over again. No one's using it. Well, for using it for what? Well, using it for what it was designed for. What did you design it for? Well, we didn't design it. The vendor designed it. Like, okay, what were your goals? Well, we just wanted to go live. I was like, so what's what what what's no one using? No one's using self-service. And no one's using the module. Do you actually think employees know what modules are? Those are body parts again. Things on your body. Modules or nodules, whatever it's called. No employee cares about modules. So it's not the what is the technology. It's the how is the technology, which ties back into what matters right now. 
So you may have to change your sequencing of the order in which you're doing things. Uh, working with an organization right now where the CEO came from Amazon said the number one thing that's most important is that our employee experience looks like Amazon. Because guess what? We're not going to lose people anymore to the fact that they can't figure out how to get stuff done. Cool. So that now is different than what the now was before, which is to make sure that we had a, a better way to do garnishment processing. Cool. But staying in touch. So the first tip, staying in touch with the business. There's more money on the sidelines to do acquisitions in the business world now than there's ever been, which basically means there will be more acquisitions in the next two to five years than there's ever been, which means people are going to start to change priorities. Be ready for that, A. B is I have to really understand that the mindset of the HR leadership team has to be set towards innovation and it has to be set towards growth. And if it's not, and people can't get on board with that, there's probably not a place for them. Like that bold. Because guess what? When you go to a meeting and there's that one person that says, hey, we're not going to do it that way, that holds the whole organization back. So it's really making, number two is making sure that mindset is aligned, understood, there's a vision, and there's measures of success. And then the third thing that I'm going to more instead of say, beg, is that no matter what you're doing, you design, you deploy with empathy and humanity at the core. Employees, managers, and leaders have 99,000 things to do. They get pushed 99,000 tasks. You know, software vendors going in and say, isn't this cool? Here's the task box. And people are like, like, why aren't you more excited? Are you kidding? More tasks? Like, and a task box that's in a different place than the rest of my tasks? Yay! That sounds so exciting. No, it sounds hellish. So, but that's because we think it's cool. But put ourselves in the shoes. Walk in the shoes of a manager who has eight people out with COVID right now that has three people looking for jobs, and that has two people who are trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Do you think they're gonna care about the latest come kick the tires on the new LMS? Unless it means something to them? Design with humanity, empathy, belonging in mind. And then I'm gonna throw in a 3A, stop focusing on just getting people connected but focus on building connection. For so long, we've been worried, oh, do they have a device? Do they have a good internet? Do they have a modem? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Modem, Michael, remember those? I know, Modems. I remember, yes. Modems. You know, we've been worried about- can You were gonna say floppy disk then, weren't you? I almost did, once again, didn't. But think about it for a second. We're over the connected part. There's no excuses. Like there's challenges in some cases, but there's no excuses. The biggest challenge now is let's shift from focus on getting people connected to building connection with people. Okay. And if we can think about how do we build connection with people, a lot of these other things will solve themselves because that will become the rule of the game yeah. instead of just the connected part. I completely agree.
Jason, whoa, what a conversation. Thank you so, so much for all of your insights today. Um, I haven't laughed so much in ages. Thankfully, the listeners won't know half of that. But um, this is a crucial conversation. There is serious stuff to be done. But no, I can't thank you enough on behalf of Simon himself. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Simon, that was another brilliant episode. I haven't laughed so much in ages. I, I And also, I do need to learn from future episodes not to uh, come out with all my little sayings that uh, I haven't actually explained what they mean. And I appreciate the fact that Jason just put me completely on the spot to explain what they meant. But oh, that was great. That was high energy, full of conviction, full of challenge, exactly everything that we hoped it would be. So many takeaways. Um, but I'm going to start with you, if I may. Uh, what were some of your real nuggets uh, in that episode? Well, I think first observation was I think that's been our most playful guest so far on the episode. And uh, I, I, I know that our listeners don't have the, the video, but you know, we were both you know, laughing throughout the whole episode and, and some of the observations and uh, the way Jason talks about the topic. It, yeah, it's, a, it's a fantastic viewpoint he's got. I was actually struck by one of the things he said pretty much towards the end, actually, amongst other things, of course. But one thing that really caught my uh, caught my ear was was his observation that we need to shift focus from getting people connected to building connections with people. I thought that was a beautiful way of just summarizing everything we've been talking about on on multiple podcasts and encapsulated that into uh, you know sort of ten words or so, which which was a beautiful way of articulating where the focus needs to be going forwards. Yeah, I mean, listen, taking the taking the humor aside, right? I mean, uh, Jason Jason's so easy to talk to and so relatable. And and I listen. I many an evening I'll be on Twitter and reading some of his tweets, and I'll just be nodding my head in violent agreement. So the humor aside, there's a real seriousness here, and Jason gets that. And, and I think there was two things. The first one, obviously, we titled this episode The Future of Work, and he completely knocked that out of the park straight away. If, if, the, if the focus is just on the future, then you're miles off. It has to be about now. It has to be in this moment, because you don't have two or three years to wait. And I think alongside that was the reasoning. He described it as a chasm between strategy and execution. We've heard this for years and years and years and years, yet we're still making the same error. So I think that for me was a huge point around why it's important to be clear on what does this mean? What's the reasoning? What's the rationale? How does it benefit the individual? And how does it benefit the organization? How does it benefit the customer? Because ultimately, that's really what we're trying to achieve. So some great points. Playful indeed. And, um, and we will definitely take up his offer to come back. Because I think there were questions we asked today that I think we can dig in, especially the one you asked, Simon, about value. And I think, you know, that's a piece of work that Jason's doing. It'd be good to follow up with him on that. But really good, mate. That was really good. And um, yeah, on to the next one. But uh, yeah, until then, I'm going to go and have my customary cup of tea. Um, but until then, everybody, goodbye. Bye.